Let's pray. Father God, we praise you. We praise you because um, he is risen. He is alive. We do not serve a dead king. We serve a risen Savior, and we praise you. You are so worthy to be praised and glorified, and we pray that that's exactly what will happen during this, these next few moments, that you will be exalted, that your name will be lifted high, and that, and that uh, hearts will be drawn to you as only you can draw. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you did your homework and your reading, then you know this week our topic is on worship, the spiritual discipline of worship. And when it comes to worship, I cannot think of a single person that is more passionate or better suited to lead us and teach us on the topic than our special guest this morning. So it is with great appreciation and great admiration that I give to you. All right. Well, it is good to be here today and to uh, speak to you all, uh, be a part of this abide. I think it's great. I think um, it's great to see the changes that's happened and uh, the leadership that my wife has uh, put into this. And, and um, it's good to see the Lord working in her life. Uh, I think uh, this is a fantastic opportunity for me. I'm going to try to get this thing to turn off. There he is. Okay. All right, good. So anyway, this is uh, pretty exciting for me to be here with you all um, and uh, scary and all that kind of stuff all at the same time. <laughs> Normally there's a guitar in my hand, so I feel a lot better, uh, but without it, um, we'll just, you know, yeah, I may, I may do that. If it, you know, I've got a couple of jokes. If y'all don't laugh at it, I'm going to go pick a guitar up and just maybe sing and then we'll dismiss. So. Yeah, if you, if you have been following along in the uh, book, Spiritual Disciplines, I've been reading some of it with you guys. My wife would come home and tell me something, and so I'm like, oh, well, I'll, I'll read up on the chapter. So I've been reading up just a little bit with you guys to kind of follow along and see what's uh, been going on. And uh, it's, been, it's been good to do that. This past week, I spent a lot of time reading about worship, obviously, since you guys have been reading this, and, um, and I was going to come teach on it, so I figured I better get up to speed with you guys. So that's kind of where we are. We open the book. Um, this chapter opens with a, it's a kind of a sad story about a, the 10-year-old boy. You know, he goes through all this stuff, and he's like, hey, I'm going to have all these people come over. We're going to have a good time. All my friends are going to be here. I'm going to plan all these events. We're going to do all these things just for, at the end, for those boys to leave them <laughs> at the ball game and kind of go do their own, their own deal. Uh, he, he thinks everything through, and, I mean, every moment is packed full of all this fun stuff, um, and he's let down by the ones that he wanted to share that time with. Um, this, seems, uh, this serves as a, as a great reminder for us and also the truth about how, many Christians, about how many Christians treat God when it comes to worship. Uh, I believe this happens because of a, a lack of understanding of who God is um, and a lack of understanding of what our part is in the kingdom of God. Um, and so we need, to, we need to know more about God, which will shape how we respond to God, and if, if we could somehow uh, grasp the greatness of God, if our eyes could only see and if our minds could know, then we would surely live lives of worship and, and service at all times. And there lies the problem. Uh, we just simply may not know the greatness of our God. There was, a, there was a time when I was young and dumb, and really the only thing that's changed is I'm just a little bit older, okay? Uh, I, I tend to still make a lot of 
bad decisions or dumb mistakes or whatever. It's just kind of what happens. Uh, but I remember a long time ago when my wife and I were, were coming up on 15 years of marriage, okay? 15 years, so you, you do the math, I'm only 30. Somehow that, that works out. But we're, um, uh, I remember when Tammy and I were coming up on our one-year anniversary, we were like, hey, let's make a really bad decision and go to Grand Canyon, spend all this money we don't have, and go on this really nice vacation for our one-year anniversary. So she was like, yep, great idea, let's go. So we, um, we pack up, we go to the Grand Canyon. We actually went to Phoenix and stayed in a little place called Sedona, which is really, really nice, really cool place. Um, we, had, we had a great time there. Um, so then, you know, we, we were there and we're like, hey, let's go to the Grand Canyon because, you know, we're so close to it and, you know, it's grand. So <laughs> let's go to it. So it took us a couple hours to get there. All I, all I knew was that we were going to go look at this massive hole in the ground, okay? That's all I knew. I didn't know anything about the Grand Canyon. I knew that it's, it's big and people like it and we're going to go look at it and that's that, okay? So we get there. We, we, drove, we drove several hours to get there and we're driving around the south rim and we're like, trying to find a good place to get out and take pictures and look and do all these things. I remember we found a perfect spot. We get out, we walk around, and we, and we stood there. And we looked at the Grand Canyon, and I was done. <laughs> like, I saw it, and I was thinking, okay, this is it's cool. It's a big hole. Uh, it, it was so big, I couldn't comprehend what I was looking at, okay? So it looked as though someone had just kind of put a picture and wrapped it around my head, and I was just kind of looking into this picture, and I was thinking, okay, well, that's it. So we were there total 15 minutes. <laughs> Spent all this money to go check this place out. We were there 15 minutes. It was fantastic. <laughs> so now, had I known just a couple things about the Grand Canyon, I might have been a little bit more intrigued, like the fact that it's 277 miles long. I mean, that's, that's kind of that's big. Uh, it's at, at, at its widest point, it's 18 miles wide. 18 miles. That's significant. And it's a mile deep. It's a mile deep. And there's layers of ancient rocks that reveal some of Earth's history and all the different kinds of you know, rocks and stuff like that, if you're into that, um, whatever. Um, but you know, I, I started thinking back. I was like, what could have made that experience better? Maybe if, if we'd have taken a mule ride or a donkey ride down into it or I don't know. Tammy likes that, you know, that kind of stuff, I guess. <laughs> you know, so you know, it, it might have been kind of cool to go down and you know, do some of those things. Or maybe like take one of those... Um, those uh, rides, you know, where you kind of go over the whole thing, you know, and look at it. I thought that might, that might be something. I could see a different side of the Grand Canyon, see something different about the Grand Canyon. Or maybe even going down there and uh, going down the Colorado River, you know, on a raft or whatever. Or like our pastor does, goes on the, he just hikes the whole thing. And so he just says, hey, I'm going to go from here to here and does it. It's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> um, but, you know, a lot of it, I, I was just simply unaware. I just didn't know what I was looking at. Um, as great as the Grand Canyon is, our God is better. Amen? Amen. When, I, when I try to meditate on the attributes of God, I can't help but worship. Sometimes, like, I think back to the time of when we were at the Grand Canyon. Had I known some of these things about what, what it was I was looking at, I probably would have stopped and just gazed a little longer. Probably would have just stayed there a little, little longer um, to see and kind of take it all in of what I was really looking at. Don Whitney um, talks about focusing on God, focusing on who God is. So let's just, let's just start there. Uh, I'm going to give you a couple things to kind of think through. I'm going to go fast, but just listen fast. God is all-powerful. Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God, it is you who made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. We know that even by the words that he speaks, he can create the universe, right? Um, he can do whatever he pleases. There's nothing that can slow him down or stop him. There's no power, known or unknown, that can stop our God. 
He is all-powerful. He is also ever-present. Psalm 139, 7-10 says, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. There's no boundaries for our God. He is without measure. Acts 17 tells us that our entire existence exists within Him, within His hand. Everything we know exists within Him. He is ever present. If you have um, like a study guide or something or some things you're supposed to fill in, I'm really going to disappoint you, okay, because I'm not going to help you fill those in, <laughs> okay? So I'm, I'm the guy that like, like at Secret Church, you know, I'll go and I'm like listening to David Platt and he'll speak so fast I can't fill it in. I lose one, I'm done. I'm like, hey, look, you got to re- rewind. You lost me in like Exodus. Go back. So anyway, uh, just listen and you'll, you'll get it all. Uh, he's ever present. He's also all-knowing. Romans 11, 33 and 34 says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? God devised these perfect ends and will achieve those perfect ends by the perfect means. God makes no mistakes. We trust that. You can trust that. God makes no mistakes. He is never surprised when that situation comes up, that tough situation that you're going through. He is working to bring about the ends that he desires, and that's your sanctification, that's your worship. God makes no mistakes. He's all-knowing. And our God is sovereign. 1 Chronicles 29, 11, and 12 says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand... It is to make great and to give strength to all. David prays this in the temple. David is uh, actually saying, he's praying this, leading the people in this prayer. And at the end, he ends it by saying, now we thank our God and praise your glorious name. He's thanking the Lord and praising him because his is the power and the victory and the majesty and the might. If someone or something has strength or power on this earth that we know of, it was given to that person by the Lord. Pastor even mentioned yesterday, we don't have a reason to worry. The Lord controls it all. He's over it all. God possesses every ability he needs for absolute control over everything. There's no reason to be concerned, no reason to worry. Our God is, uh, our God is sovereign. We also know that our God is holy. Exodus 15, verse 11 says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, Awesome and glorious deeds doing wonders. His character, we can trust, is perfect in every way. His moral excellence is the absolute standard of integrity and ethical purity. And God's supreme holiness infinitely sets him apart from his creation. And, um, you know, even when, when we read about Moses, when he's standing before the burning bush, the Lord is there in that bush. Uh, you guys know what I'm talking about? As he pleases, he makes the ground holy right there. As he pleases, that's the holiness of our God. Uh, Psalm 96, 9 tells us to worship him in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Our God is holy. Our God is also truth. 
John 18, 37, Pilate says to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. So we know that Christ came. He's bearing witness to God, the absolute truth. God is absolute truth. It is impossible for God to be otherwise, right? He is the source of all truth. His words are completely accurate. And here we see Christ bearing witness to that truth, that truth which is God. God is truth. God is also just. Jeremiah 17.10, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. He pronounces judgment and carries them through. That's our God. God cannot be corrupted. God is the one that tests, he knows the heart, he knows the mind, and he gives according to his knowledge and what he knows, because our God is just. Our God is also love, in Ephesians 3, 17 through 18, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ. Not only does God love us, but he is a source of all love. Okay? Love permeates through all of his other attributes. We can go back and look through all these different attributes of God and see love just thread through the whole thing. Thread through all of it. His love is unconditional for those who are in Christ. And though the world around us, we fall into this every day. We understand that the world will fall in love with us, in and out of love, continually with us by the way we look, by the way we act, by the things we say. The world will fall in love continually, in and out of love with us. Um, but our, our God does not compromise his integrity. He, his love never fails us. We know our God is love. We know our God is merciful. James 5, 11 says, Behold, we consider those blessed who, re, who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the presence of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. You know, God's very nature is to relieve you of all the self-imposed misery and distress you experience because of your sin. God is merciful. Matthew 5 tells us that all humanity benefits from God's mercy. One of God's mercy is sunshine. One of God's mercies is rain. One of God's mercies is the air that we breathe. All of humanity benefits from God's mercy. It's a good thing our God is merciful. Our God is also faithful. Psalm 89.8 says, O Lord God of hosts, who is, who, who is mighty, O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. God is surrounded by faithfulness. What does that even mean? God is surrounded by faithfulness. I can't even comprehend that. All that God has promised, those things will come to pass. All that he said in his word, they'll come to pass. Faithfulness is also at the heart of all God is and does. He is faithful to forgive he is faithful to protect. He is faithful to purify us from unrighteousness. He is faithful to fulfill his promises. He is faithful to help you in your time of need. Our God is faithful. Our God is also never changing. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. It is impossible for our God to change. God does not change or alter his standard or will. He's, he's not thrown off by what's coming. Okay, God knows what's coming. God is never changing. We'll just stop there. That's just 11. 
we could go on and on and on about the different attributes of God and, and the way the way God is, talk about his character. We can go on and on and on. We'll just stop there. You know, if you just took those 11 things, this would be the perfect person, like on Christian Mingle or, you know, one of those match.com. You know, it's like, hey, well, what's your, pro- what, what's your profile? I'm the king of the universe. Great. Choose that guy, okay? If you see him, choose that one. That's the one you want. Um, you could easily focus on just one of those attributes a day. So you got 11 days. I'll give you 11 things. You can, for the next 11 days, you can just focus on those things, one a day, maybe several times a day, and think about how God is. It will draw you in to worship. You think on those things, it'll help you, with a, it'll help you gain a proper view of God, which will aim your worship correctly. Okay? Don Whitney points out a couple passages. Um, I think it's maybe bottom of page uh, 104. A couple passages of Scripture concerning worship. Uh, he talks about in John 20, 28, when Jesus appears to Thomas, uh, we see immediately um, awe from Thomas. Thomas is in awe when he approaches the Lord, when Christ is there standing before him. His response is a clear confession of his newly found faith in Christ. This is Thomas, complete awe before the Lord. Okay? In Revelation 5, this is, I, I love this passage. This, this is, there's a whole lot packed in this one passage. In Revelation 5, we see parts of the vision that John received while he was exiled. Um, The heavenly hosts, in verse 2, are asking, who is worthy to open the scroll scroll and break the seals? They're looking around, who is worthy to do this? Who is worthy? There's not an angel, not an elder in heaven, on earth, or under the earth that could open it. So their response is this. They respond with a new song because Christ is worthy to open the scroll and to break the seals. Okay? So what, what they do is they sing, Worthy is the Lamb. We've sang that song before. Tina sings it all the time. I love it when she sings this song, Worthy is the Lamb. And then uh, the, the angels go on to sing, To him who sits on the throne be honor and praise. They continually sing this song because they realize the Lamb of God is there, and he is the one worthy to do all these things. Uh, the song they sing in Revelation 5, verse 9, it honors the price of redemption by saying, Christ, you were slain. You are the Lamb that was slain for us. It honors the worker of redemption. You have redeemed us. You've made a way for us. The song that they sing, it honors the destination of redemption. It allows us to come to God. The song that they sing honors the payment of redemption. It's by your blood that we've been saved, that we've been redeemed. Their song that they sing honors the scope of redemption. It's every every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And the song that they sing, it honors the result of redemption, which is God's reign over all the earth. Okay? So knowing these attributes and the works of Christ, seeing what he's done for us, allows us the focus that we need um, to see his great worth, which causes us to respond in, in worship. Now, whenever you think about worship, what, what, do, you, what do you think about? Singing? It's very natural to think that, but there, there, there's, so much, there's so much more to worship than just lifting your voice. Now, obviously, it's a command that we have in, in the Psalms to do that, but there's so much more. We'll get to it in just a second. Just wanted to kind of hear your thoughts really quickly. Um, Whitney makes a really good point. Don Whitney makes a good point um, that since we are not yet in heaven, we can't see this happening in heaven. We could read about it, and we can know about it, but we're not seeing it. We're not witnessing it in heaven. How can we see and know this, God's great worth and all these things that the angels are declaring, how can we see that here on earth? There's a couple ways. First way is through creation. He talks about this in, in the book. 
uh, Romans 1.20, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that he has made. Grand Canyon, hello, I totally missed it, okay, <laughs> totally missed it. The second way is through the Bible and through the works of Christ. Obviously, throughout the pages of Scripture, we see the power of God and the works of Christ. We can know the things Christ has done and God has done for us to redeem us, which will cause us to worship. We have no excuse when it comes to seeing God's works and the way he draws us into worship. Anyone ever heard of Bob Coughlin? Yeah. I, all right, I see that hand. I, I love Bob Coughlin. He, he's one of the, one of the worship pastors at um, through, uh, Sovereign Grace Ministries. Um, we sing a lot of their songs. Um, he, he says this. He says, Worship isn't primarily about music, techniques, liturgies, songs, or methodologies. It's about our hearts. It's about what and who we love more than anything else. It's about what we love, who and more um, than anything else. What and who we love more than anything else. Uh, he moves on, Whitney, in, in the book to uh, talk about worship in spirit and truth. Okay, let's just talk about that just for a moment. Before we can worship in spirit and truth, we must have within us the one who is the spirit of truth. Let me read that again. Before we can worship in spirit and truth, we must have within us the one who is the spirit of truth. Okay, John 14, 17 says, Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and dwells in you. He is the one that draws us into worship, okay? It's not me. I can't get up there and just sing a song and you go, oh, let's worship, okay? It doesn't happen that way. It's the Lord that draws us into worship. The Holy Spirit reveals God to us. He opens our eyes to see the greatness and the glory of God. He awakens us to the things of God. And when we become awake to those things, what do we do? Our response is worship. Our response, our response is worship. So worshiping in spirit, John Piper says this, True worship comes from spirits made alive. I had to read this a couple of times because I was thinking, spirits made alive, what is, what's happening here? Listen to this. Uh, Piper says that true worship comes from spirits made alive and sensitive by the quickening of the Spirit of God. God's Spirit ignites and energizes our spirit. That's what causes us to come alive, causes us to come alive and, and, to, and to worship. This is a little bit about the Spirit. When we, when we talk about truth, the truth part is a little bit easy. Okay, because you can read things about God in the Bible, right? You can read those things and know those things as, as true. When you talk about worship in spirit, you get several different roads that you, you can go on. Okay, we'll leave it there, all right? Um, the truth part's easy, because we can read that. We can see that in the Bible. When Jesus tells the woman at the well, hey, the hour is coming and is now here. You know what he's talking about? Himself. It's me, Jesus. The hour is coming, and look, I'm here now. I'm here now. This is how we can worship. The person and the work of Christ. That's what Jesus is telling the woman at the well. In John 14, 6, he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, and he is now saying, I'm, I'm that way. I'm, I'm the one, okay? I'm that way. It's the works that, I, that I've done. That's the word of truth. That's the gospel that we talk about, that we believe. Uh, you must know this truth to correctly worship the Lord, okay? Um, regardless of what you think or feel, there is no authentic worship of God without a right knowledge of God, 
Okay? You can't really worship the Lord if you really don't know the Lord. Okay? If you don't know things about the Lord, that's why those attributes we read earlier are so, so good. A lot of times I'll just take one and just think about it, and I'll just worship the Lord through that. I'll read passages of Scripture that talk about God's holiness or God's faithfulness or God's love and just read those things. And certainly there's a song that I could sing um, when I'm by myself. I can really get after it and sing it hard, you know. Um, and so that kind of stuff happens all the time. But regardless of what we think or feel, God is worthy of that worship. He is, he is worthy of it, and we can't worship unless we know the object of who, of who it is we're worshiping. Um, and we can find that truth in his word. Um, I remember one time I was, I was at a church in Carrollton, Georgia. Um, I was at school at West Georgia. That's where I met my wife. I was at this church. I was um, one of the worship leaders there. I enjoyed being a part of that church, and it was a lot of fun and all those, all, all those kind of good things. But um, there was one day in particular we were, we were um, it was a Sunday morning. We're in church. And this lady in front of me was just talking the whole time. I mean, just running that mouth. And I was thinking, man, this woman, she is just talking. And she was talking about all kinds of stuff, random stuff, what she did over the weekend. Now, I mean, the music is happening. We're singing. Uh, the pastor had already read some scripture. And so we're standing up. We're literally, you know, we're in the midst of it. And this lady's just going to town, talking about all she did over the weekend and about her dog and all kinds of stuff, whatever. And then, okay, this is how, this is how long ago it was the worship band started going into Open Eyes of My Heart, Lord. Okay, you guys, know, you guys know that song? And so they started singing that song, and she goes, oh, wait a second, this is, this is my jam, or something like that. And like, turn, and like put her hands up and just started worshiping. I'm, I started thinking, what just happened? Like I'm looking at it. I'm young. I'm thinking, okay, like I, I want to leave worship. I, I, I want to know right things about God and know all these things. I'm looking. I'm like, what just happened? This can't be, this can't be it. This can't be what it is. Hang on. I'll tell you about this in a second. I had to go, you know, check this out real quick. It just doesn't seem like it was right, okay? That, that can't be good. That can't be good. No spirit, no truth in that. No truth. And that song is, we'll talk about that another day. <laughs> so, anyway, we have to think of worship as, or think, think of it as head and heart worship. Spirit and truth, head and heart worship. Piper says this, Christian worship engages both heart and head. It necessitates true doctrine about the Father and His Son and their partnership in rescuing sinners and the emotion behind the doctrine. It is an affair of the heart and of the mind. He also says this, Truth without emotion produces dead orthodoxy in a church full of artificial admirers. On the other hand, emotion without truth produces empty frenzy and cultivates shallow people who refuse the discipline of rigorous thought. Remember that again. Emotion without truth produces empty frenzy and cultivates shallow people who refuse the discipline of rigorous thought. That's why a lot of times, um, you know, when I'm leading worship, I don't like to talk very much because I'm very capable of saying something completely terrible. Okay? <laughs> now, I like to fill my mind with Scripture and all those things, but there, there's a good chance I'm going to say something dumb. So a lot of times, I let the song speak for itself, and we pick scriptural songs, or I'll read scripture, because the Lord can say it much better than I can. So I'd rather the Lord, Lord do that. Um, instead of just drawing out this emotion in people, I don't care to do that. I don't care to do that. Um, and right now, you're probably thinking, you, you're probably thinking of, of both of those examples in worship. Um, you know, I, I was, uh, I, 
lead worship here, so I spend a lot of time finding new music, looking for new outlets of music and stuff like that. And when you when you search for worship music, you're you're all over the place. I mean, you know, you see some good things, some bad things. You see kind of you know whatever. I find myself on YouTube a lot, just looking at different um, venues and stuff like that. And so I was watching this one time, and this guy was singing this song, and it was it was very repetitive, and he was crying, and it was real emotional, and I was thinking. What is that? Like, pull yourself together, man. What are you doing? And I, 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 I didn't know what to do with it. He just kept going on. The lyrics were weird. He really wasn't saying, it wasn't saying anything scriptural. It was just kind of gibberish. And I was thinking, man, what? How is that helping people? And man's crying. I'm like, you know, get yourself together. I don't know what to do with crying people. Okay. So if this, this is really moving to you and you want to cry, just send me an email later, you know. Don't come up crying to me. I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> True worship comes from people who are deeply emotional and who love deep and sound doctrine. Now, deeply emotional, it doesn't mean, you know, someone who is, um, you know, a crier or whatever, you know. And, and no, one, no one likes that person, right, because it's kind of weird. And, and, and no one likes the, the, the one who is like the happy clappy, you know, hey, everything is, you know, beautiful and fantastic. Because that, that's not real either, okay? And so um, deeply emotional is not necessarily just an outwardly, you know, deal. Um, you know, pastor, is, uh, pastor tends to be emotional. Please, please don't tell him I said this, <laughs> okay? But no, no, no. <laughs> but he thinks real deeply and is, and is really moved by um, things. We'll leave it at that, okay? So he, he actually has very deep thought and, and can... And, can be moved, um, moved to the Lord and into worship by um, by things that are that are beautiful, things that we look at as art or you know all, all those kind of things. Don't tell him I said that. <laughs> I should just scratch that from these notes. Uh, Whitney says that we are to worship God as described in the Bible, uh, not who we want Him to be. Okay. Now a lot of times, what what people do is they'll tend to worship a God that they've made up in their mind. You know, and uh, that's not truth. That's not right. Uh, that's not biblical. Um, many times you, you come across someone who is uh, maybe dealing with a certain situation and they kind of take a little bit of scripture, maybe that's true, and they just take it from there and they just run with it. And now next thing they've made something up about God that is completely contrary to his word or maybe just a little bit off from his word. And they tend to stay in that place and worship. And that, that's just not true. It's just not, it's not truth. Um, we oftentimes make up stuff about God and worship those things. Uh, we are not all wise, okay? So we can't, we can't do that. We can't make these things up about God because we don't know all these things. Not only that, when you do that, when you make up those things about God and you want to stay in that, that portion of it and worship through that point, let me tell you what that's called. Idolatry. That's what that is, okay? It's idolatry. Uh, Whitney talks about the story of the man who brings home flowers. Remember that? The story, the guy brings home some roses. Did y'all read? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Okay. okay, good, okay. So he talks about the man, I think it's on page 108. He brings, uh, the man brings home the flowers, and wife's like, oh, I love these. He goes, well, you know, that's, what, that's my duty, okay? Um, I don't like buying flowers for my wife, okay? I admit this. I do not like buying flowers for Tammy. I think it's a scam. Let me tell you why. Several times on, like, Valentine's Day, I'll go to the store, 
Uh, it used to just be the grocery store, so it wasn't that bad. But I've, I stepped up one, one year, and I went to this little place in Harrisburg, Harrisburg Florist. If you own that place, I'm sorry. Um, it's a wonderful place. Go there all the time, please. But um, <laughs> I happened to go there on Valentine's Day, okay? And, and this, it, it was a scam. I walked in, and I just had sucker written across my forehead because, you know, like I walked past all these little things of flowers. I'm thinking, hey, that's like $12. That's perfect. That's what I want to get. I'm like, no, 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 no. You need to come back here. It's Valentine's Day. You obviously haven't done your homework. You need to come back here to the back. They open this freezer, and like angels are singing when the door comes open, and like this wind comes through, and all this sunshine and stuff like that. And I'm thinking, wow. And that's like the $85 section of flowers because, you know, you didn't put any forethought to this. And so... I think it's a scam. Um, however, I will say this. I'm learning that my wife really likes flowers. Okay? Um, I'll, I'm ashamed to admit this, but she'll even go to the store and buy some for herself. <laughs> and put it on the table, and I look at it and think, man, I should have bought that. <laughs> um, but I didn't. Um, so, but what I, what I normally like to do is I like to go and buy her something that I think she would like. Okay, that makes sense. You know, I, I would think to myself, okay, well, instead of spending, you know, 30 or $40 on flowers, I'll go buy something like, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, something. Before it was like um, jewelry, but then I guess you can't really go much further past that. So I had to kind of figure out what, what else to do. But I, I, I would go buy something that cost more money, thinking, okay, well, she'll like this because I spent more money. I put a little bit more thought than just flowers. Because flowers, what happens, if, if you're a flower, you come to my house, you die. You live for a little while, people look at you for a little bit, and then you die. And, you know, like, I, sometimes I wish Tammy would, like, put them in a the little book, you know, like, like y'all did for prom and stuff like that, or, like, hang them upside down and stuff like you know. But she doesn't do that. She kills flowers and then throws them out in the yard, and that's kind of what happens. But we do that to God. We come to God with what we think works or what we think we should be doing or how we think things should happen. Um, and that's not, how, that's not how it should happen. Um, so what I need to do is I need to develop the discipline of getting Tammy things that pleases her even if I don't feel like it or even if I don't want to. If I buy flowers at all or anything, I want her to be pleased with it. Why would I go buy something that I think she'd be pleased with knowing that, hey, I could have done this, but I did this. There's a chance over here. The flowers, sure, they're a sure win, and I fail every time. So sorry about that. I'll buy you some flowers, babe, I promise. Uh, Whitney brings up a good point about not stopping doing the things just because we don't feel like it. God is still worthy of praise whether we feel like it or not. Hear that. God is still worthy of praise whether you and I feel like it or not. Um, pastor once said this at, at dinner with Pastor. He was talking about how he likes to form these ruts of disciplined reading, quiet times, and prayer. He forms those ruts because in the times... The times where he doesn't feel like doing something or, or whatever, he's in that rut. So therefore, he does it anyway. Okay, and, and Whitney says this, the breakthrough in restoring the joy and freedom of worship will most likely happen in the context of worship. It's a good thought. The, the breakthrough in restoring the joy and freedom of worship will most likely happen in the context of worship. Those ruts are good things. Those are good things. Get in the, in the discipline, in the habit of reading your Bible Doing your quiet times, praying, fasting before the Lord, doing those things are good things. We're going to transition a little bit to uh, public and private worship in the section of the book where he talks about that. I like public worship because uh, it helps feed my family and pay my bills, so it's a good thing. Don't ever stop liking public worship at Hickory <laughs> Grove. Okay? Uh, Hebrews 10 tells us not to neglect the assembly. 
not to neglect the assembly. You know, I, I, I remember a time, Pastor and I were having a conversation on Twitter. So it was, it was an open public conversation on Twitter, and someone randomly chimed in from like California and was talking about how they're how they were a part of a church. Pastor and I were talking about church membership or something like that, and this person chimed in from California about how they were part of a church in Charlotte. And so they they have never been to Charlotte, never never lived here, nothing. But they felt like their assembly was in Charlotte. It didn't make any sense to me. They don't go to church out. I mean, this person went on and on and on for some time talking about how they're a part of a church here, and they simply weren't. Um, it was all. It was just the online experience or whatever that they were a part of. But uh, Hebrews ten tells us, do not neglect the assembly. In the assembly or worship service on the Lord's day, as 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 in our case. Uh, we are to stir up one another with the gospel. That happens in community. Now, what that means is, uh, you know, we were made to worship the Lord, and we were made to be together. It, Whitney even says that we're not to be isolationists. Remember that, that portion of, of the book? Uh, we're to voice exhortations with the goal of strengthening each other's faith, faith. And when we meet together, we're reminding one another of the gospel and how it affected us individually throughout the week. That's our goal of assembling together and, and worshiping together. You know, in Numbers 21, I was reminded about this. Uh, God sends these venomous snakes to the camp where the Israelites were. You guys know the story of the bronze serpent? We just talked about this a couple weeks ago in, uh, in Sunday School, Gospel Project. People were getting bit. They were dying left and right. People were struggling, having a, having a hard time. God tells Moses, Moses, put a bronze serpent on a staff and raise it up. Okay? Raise up the staff in the center of the camp and let people come to it. The people who were bitten can go and just look at the serpent, the bronze serpent, and they would be healed. They would live, okay? So, and it, it, it was bad. Like, the Bible paints this really terrible picture of these fiery serpents. When they bite, this fire just consuming you, and you would die unless you made it to the, the place, the designated place in the camp where you can look upon the serpent and live. Um, we are to point weary people to Christ. Okay, whenever we're dealing with things um, in our individual lives and we come together, we assemble together on the Lord's day, we're to point one another with the gospel to Christ. Look upon the Lord and live. Look upon him and live. Pastor, you've mentioned this past Sunday. Look past your circumstance, your current situation, and look to Christ. Whitney also says that public worship doesn't happen without private worship. Public worship doesn't happen without private worship. You can't walk in on a Sunday and try to engage with people and try to engage with the staff or engage with the Lord if you have not been in His presence every day during that week. You can't do that. You're manufacturing something. You're faking it. That's what it is, right? You show up on Sunday, you haven't cracked your Bible, not a single... Like, some people's Bibles, you know, they stay up in the, in the dash of the car, you know, and it's like they brush it off and walk in. You can't live like that. That's not authentic. That's not true. That's not true worship. Uh, you just can't do that. You know, I, I asked several people last week um, what, what private worship uh, is to them. And most people said singing, which I think that's a good aspect. It's one aspect of private worship, but it can't serve as all of it. It shouldn't serve as all of it, okay? Um, meditating on God's Word is a great way to worship Him privately. Think about those attributes of God. Think about how how God is, who God is, and the person, the work of Jesus Christ. Thinking on those things uh, can really help you in worship. And, and here's three other practical ways uh, to worship God privately, and this is all based on uh, Matthew 6. 
First thing is maybe a charitable deed. Maybe you can help somebody. You can give to someone who you know is struggling or uh, just help. Just help somebody in some way. And I, I challenge you, when you do that, do that unto the Lord, not unto Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. You know what I mean? Where you go, hey, there's a homeless guy. I just gave him 20 bucks or whatever. You know, you've received your reward, in, your reward in full. That's what the Bible says. When you do that and you go tell everybody what you just did, you just received all of your reward. And your reward is a like on Instagram. That's it. That's it. God sees what's done in secret and rewards you. That's what the Bible says. Also in prayer, pray in secret. Pray sincerely. Again, God hears you and sees this, what you do in private, what you do in secret. God sees that, and he rewards you. He honors you for that. Also in fasting. Um, fasting is toward God, okay? It is, uh, I looked up this definition, it's an affliction that reminds us of our dependence upon God. An affliction, okay? Food. Going without food is a terrible affliction, okay? That's fasting. Going without something to point you towards Christ, okay? To remind you of our dependence upon Christ. I had a friend in college that would say, hey, I'm, I'm fasting from TV this week. I didn't understand that. Fasting from TV, you're not dependent upon TV. <laughs> you know, you can live without TV. He, he used to say, um, oh, I, I'm, I'm fasting from my girlfriend this week. Like, what is, the affliction is when you're with her. Like, why, why are, that doesn't even make sense. Anyway, so we do all these things before God and not man. The hypocrites do these before man, and they receive their reward in full. These are private acts of worship, just three or four private acts of worship. These acts are to bring you closer to God in faith and obedience, not to be honored before man. That's public and private worship. We must also cultivate uh, this discipline. Whitney talks about this in the book. Put yourself in a situation to adore God daily. Think about attributes of God. Think about the things of God daily. It, it puts you in a place where you can set your mind and your focus and your heart, your affection, all those things on God. Whitney says to seek counsel from someone possibly older and wiser for growth. Maybe someone in a different life situation. You know, not too long ago, I learned a, uh, I learned a tremendous amount about God and his faithfulness through a friend uh, who lost his wife. Um, that time that I was able to share with him, it gave me unbelievable insight as to the power of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, and the faithfulness of God. And all that, all it did was it pointed me towards Christ. It wanted to make me uh, trust more in the Lord and His faithfulness and His love. And we don't need to shy away from the opportunities to develop uh, disciplines that lead us to Christ-likeness. Okay, let me, let me say that again. Don't shy away from opportunities to develop disciplines that lead you to Christ-likeness. That's what we want. That's where we want to be. That's where we want to go. Um, remember when Tammy and I were first married? We wanted to hang out with people who seemed to love each other and had strong marriages. We wanted that kind of marriage. We wanted to spend time with people who we could look at and go, man, they really enjoy being around each other. Let's spend time with them. Maybe we can learn a couple things. You know, and then whenever we started having kids, um, you know, the doctor gave us miles, and we kind of looked, and we're like, okay, now what do we do? We don't know anything about kids and about children or whatever, so what do you do? You look at people who seem to know what they're doing or seem to have a good family, and you, you surround yourself um, with those people. And then you learn a lot of good habits from people like that. You also learn some things not to do, which is always, 
always good. Um, it, so, you know, if some of you younger folks are hanging out with us, uh, we're going to teach you some things not to do. Hopefully you'll pick up a couple of good things uh, to do. So just in, in wrapping all this up, um, once, once a week, coming in on Sundays and thinking you can start up some sort of worship, um, it's just not enough. It doesn't happen. It's not authentic. It's not real. Um, it, it doesn't exist. The act of worship without actual worship is miserable and hypocritical. You just can't do it. You know, we all have, um, we all have fears. I was thinking through this last night. I started thinking about some of the fears that I have. So I'll just be transparent just for a moment. I am terrified of heights, okay? So I have like this pep rally that goes on in my head before I get on uh, like an airplane or whatever because I do not like to fly. I don't like to be higher than I could jump, okay? I don't want to be any higher than that. I'm a little bit afraid of the dark, okay? I don't know why. It's just what it is. I always think sometimes there's that guy that lives up underneath the bed, you know? kind of scares me. Um, I'm, I'm, also, I'm also afraid of large crowds, which is, which is not helpful sometimes. Um, a lot of us have a, a fear of failure. I have a fear of failure, tremendous fear of failure. Um, I also have a, a significant fear of public speaking. So thanks, Tammy. I'm overcoming a lot today. This, this is, it's been good. No, um, I, I just think through all these things that I struggle with personally. I remember being young, I stuttered really bad. I mean, stuttered bad. Like, I couldn't get sentences out to save my life. It was the hardest thing. However, I could sing. And so I remember singing to my mom and dad because I never stuttered when I sang. It was the weirdest thing. Um, which, I, I guess that's the Lord working even back then before I even knew who he was, putting the song in my heart because that, that could come out clearly. Nothing else could. It was a jumbled mess, but that could come out clearly. Songs to the Lord. Um, singing. Um, reading God's Word and meditating on it, um, praying, even singing to God, it gives me this incredible hope and strength um, that overcomes those fears. There's an old hymn that says, And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. So a lot of times what, what I do is begin to meditate on God and the attributes of God and how good God is. And what ends up happening is it, it begins to take strong form and shape in my life that overcomes those fears. It takes away those fears. I think less of myself because of how glorious and how awesome God is. We need to develop that discipline of uh, genuine worship. See God as who He is revealed in the Scripture. And I believe that that will lead us to live a life that is full of joy. Not happiness all the time, but definite joy. Amen? Let's pray together. And so, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to, um, to be reminded of how good you are. Um, Lord, thank you that you've, uh, you've given us your word. You've given us eyes to see and heart to know, minds to comprehend um, your word, uh, to see how great and glorious you are. Thank you, Lord, that, um, that you draw us into your presence and that you open those eyes for us. You open our hearts to receive and Lord, I pray that, that we would take some of these thoughts from this book and, and apply them to our lives so that we could be worshipers. Lord, you, you, you remind us so well in your word. That, I mean, God, the, the, the time is now, the hour is now for us to worship. So the true worshipers arise. And Lord, I pray that's us. I pray, Lord, that, that we would be able to 
worship in spirit and truth, knowing who you are, knowing how much you love us, knowing how good you are. I pray, Lord, that leads us to complete lives of worship. Lord, may you be honored and glorified in the things that we do and say. May our hearts uh, completely overflow with the things of you that, uh, that we can give to one another, the gospel. Um, help us to, to be reminded that it's, it's, our, it's our goal to remind each other of the gospel, how good you are to your people on a regular basis. Lord, I pray that these ladies will continue to, to grow in their faith, in their trust, in their obedience to you. Uh, Lord, thank you for the good work you're doing here at Hickory Grove, especially here with Abide. Lord, thank you again for the opportunity to, to sing this morning, to, to be reminded of how good you are to your people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.